Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. So let's go back to the book of Colossians. This is part three in our series as we walk through the book of Colossians. We pick up where we left off last week. We pick up with verse 15. Now, wonder things is very interesting here. It's sometimes we just read through Colossians chapter 1 and we get right into what it's saying and the theology of it and understand. Sometimes we skip past some of the creative power that we see right here in this verse. Because starting at verse 15 is what some scholars would call a poem of Paul and others a song or a hymn. You see, when he studied Paul's writings in his letters, throughout his letters and um, writings, he would often quote songs of the early church. And so sometimes you'll read through Philippians or Ephesians and you'll sing, see some of the songs the early church were singing and worshiping God back in those days. In others, you'll see poems written by the Apostle Paul himself. Remember, he grew up and was trained steeped in Jewish literature. And so he writes a poem about Jesus, possibly a hymn that could be sung about Jesus. Now, you have to think, remember we talked about last week, the things the Colossian church was facing, the pressures of the culture, you know, all the things that were coming at them. And so after Paul's introduction, after he prays for them, right when he's about to get into the meat of the message, the best way Paul sees by the Holy Ghost to start the message to the church at Colossae was by the power of a poem and a hymn. See, the Holy Spirit appreciates the power that's in creativity and in the arts. And so he uses the arts to open up the first introduction to the church of Colossae, what Paul is going to teach them for the next few chapters in this letter. One of the things you understand that, uh, and I saw it, I was studying out this poem, and I saw one commentary that said it this way, that Paul understood that true devotion to Jesus doesn't come by following commands. It comes by being enraptured and amazed by the beauty of who Jesus is and the beauty of his love. And that's what this poem does. It causes you to be amazed by Jesus if you actually break it down and see what it's saying. When we go word by word, phrase by phrase, verse by verse, what Paul is doing in these few verses is talking about how amazing Jesus is. And as he's talking about how amazing Jesus is, he's refuting things that the Gnostics have been saying. He's refuting what things the culture around the house been telling the church of Colossae so they can understand who Jesus is, so they can live the life Jesus has called them to. So the first part of the poem begins with this phrase. Who is the image of the invisible God? Jesus who is the image of the invisible God. Remember we said the theme of the book of Colossians is Christ and his preeminence. Christ and his preeminence. And so how does Paul start his poem? He calls Jesus the image of the invisible God. What Paul is talking about here is not just talking about Jesus born into the earth, the incarnation. He's talking about Jesus preexistent, known as the son of God, before time began. 
the image of the invisible God. You know, we see that in some other scriptures. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. We'll look at verse 2. It says, Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world, who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus, the Son of God, is the express image of the invisible God. And so for those, you know, you can't see God the Father. You know, Jesus' disciples had that same thought. So, well, we can't see God. So Jesus, show us the Father. And notice what Jesus said to them in John 14. Notice what Jesus said about it in John 14. Look at verse 8. Actually, back up to verse 6. Jesus says unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices, or it's enough for us. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long with you, and you do not know me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say then, show us the Father? So notice what Jesus is saying. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why? He is the image of the invisible God. Now notice the next phrase. Go back to Colossians 1. So first, remember the whole purpose is talking about the preeminence of Jesus. Calls him the image of the invisible God. Then it calls them the firstborn of every creature. The firstborn. Now, when we hear firstborn, we think about who was born first, but that is not necessarily what that title meant from the Old Testament. Remember, Paul's trained in Jewish literature. He is an expert at the Jewish scriptures. So the firstborn is not talking about the order of birth, but status. The status and the rank and the authority of the firstborn. So it's calling him the first, he has firstborn status and rank and authority of, the word of as also can be translated over. So he has the firstborn status, rank, and authority over all creation, over every creature. And we see this thinking in the Old Testament. Let's go to Psalm 89, verse 20. It's about status and rank. Remember, this whole thing is about the preeminence of Jesus and this poem it's this poem, the song, is showing how amazing Jesus is. Psalm 89, verse 20. Notice what it says here. I have found David, my servant, with whom with my holy oil I have anointed him. Skip down to verse 26. He shall cry unto me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Also, I will make him my firstborn higher than the kings of the earth. Now, one of the things you know about David, he was not firstborn in his family. So it's not talking about his physical birth. It's talking about David's rank. So David, compared to all the kings on the earth, would have firstborn status and authority in his day. It's talking about the Davidic king. This is a phrase about status and rank. We also see it talking about the nation of Israel. Go to Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. 
and you shall say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. Now, firstborn, what is what do you think about this? Israel was not the first nation to come into existence. There was many nations and empires before Israel even became a nation. But what is it saying here? God is saying Israel has firstborn status and rank among all the nations of the earth. So this message, this phrase here, is not, it's not talking about chronological origin and timing, but the preeminence of Jesus. This phrase, firstborn over every creature, or firstborn over all creation, is not about chronological origin and timing, but the preeminence of Jesus. Let's go back to Colossians 1. So verse 15, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created. That word by means through, so you can also read it for through him were all things created. Everything was created by and through Jesus, the Son of God, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. You know, John says it um, similarly, so let's go to John chapter 1. Verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So one of the things Paul is showing Jesus is now as not only is he has firstborn rank and status over all creation, not only is he the image of the invisible God, Jesus is the creator. He's the image of the invisible God. He has firstborn status and rank, and he is the creator. So let's go back to Colossians 1. Colossians 1, as we look at Paul describing Jesus as the creator. For by or through him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. So when you see it here in Colossians and other places in Ephesians, you know, when you see in the New Testament talking about thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers, it's talking about the spirit world. And the thrones, you know, when you study it out, you can see through the Old and New Testament, dominions in the spirit realm that sit over cities and states and regions and nations and rulers of the darkness of this world, as Paul says in Ephesians. But remember, one of the things Paul is writing about in this book is to combat undue attention given to the figures of the spirit world in detriment to the place and the preeminence of Christ. And so one of the things Paul is doing here in this poetry is showing that, you know, the things and the pressure coming around with the culture around them trying to make them worship angels and worship these spirit beings and say, you know, all the dominion and thrones and powers that they have, that throne, that position, that seat was created by Jesus. See, you know, you can get really deep into this and understand, yes, there are thrones today. There have been, there can be beings removed from thrones and places of dominion and other places, people seated in those thrones and dominions. You can also think about before the fall, what did those thrones and dominions and principalities and powers look like? Because when they're created, the rulers of darkness did not inhabit them. So that's a whole nother study you can go through. 
but just to keep it very short for this message, Jesus created all the thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. And so he's refuting all this undue attention given to the spirit beings and to the spirit world to the detriment of the place of Jesus. What he's saying, Jesus has preeminence and he is greater than all these things, all these other philosophies, all these other spirits, all these other angels, all these other philosophies about angelic worship that's trying to take you off path. Understand Jesus is greater. He has preeminence. And then he ends verse 16 by saying, all things were created by him and for him. See, that adds another layer to it. So yes, we see him as creator. He created all things. But not only did he create all things, all things were created for him. So you know, I saw this phrase in one of the commentaries I was reading. Jesus is not only the agent of creation, but also its goal. Jesus is not only the agent of creation, but also its goal. Now one of the things I want you to see here, some of these words we see here, we've seen image, we've seen heaven, We've seen earth. These are, this is throwback language to Genesis chapter 1. Remember, Paul is a great scholar. He was trained by Gamaliel, one of the chief teachers of Israel of that day. Paul knows his stuff. And so in his poetry, he is tying in references. He's already done it to Psalms and Exodus that we already looked at, but to Genesis chapter 1. So let's go there, Genesis chapter 1. This is language pointing to the very beginning. And what is Paul doing? He is trying to get the church at Colossae to see creation through the colored lens of Jesus being the creator. That when you look at all the wonderful things that have been created, you understand that Jesus created it. Everything was created by him and for him. Everything was created through him and for him. So notice what it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. One of the things we know about the name God here in Genesis chapter 1 is the Hebrew word Elohim, which does speak to plurality. And we know God, the Godhead is three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. They're all in one name, aim, and purpose. And so we see how all three of them are involved in creation. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. You know, one of the things I can point out, when God makes things, they're good, they're wonderful and beautiful. And so one of the things you can see between verse 1 and verse 2 is something happened that caused the world to become without form and void. You know, in the Hebrew, it says tohu babohu, which means utter destruction. You know, some of the people who grew up in Europe with a Jewish influence when they would walk into their teenager's room, they would say, hey, clean this up. Your room is tohu babohu. It's a complete and utter mess. And so, we're not getting into this today, but the world became a complete and utter mess. But the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. You know, it's another translation, he was hovering, hovering over the face of the waters. Other translation, he was incubated, he was moving over the face of the waters. And God said... Let there be light. So the Father spoke it. And Jesus is the word. And there was light. So who created the light? Jesus. Everything was created through him. 
So we see the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all in operation in the creation and the recreation of this planet. And God saw the light and that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And so he goes through the creation story. But one of the areas you'll see it even more clear, Jesus' role in creation is in chapter 2. So go with me to chapter 2 of Genesis. Let's look at verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Think about the language. He formed a man. When you think about forming, you're thinking about the work of your hands and the creativity and going into the dirt, going into the clay, and creating the masterpiece that would become mankind. One of the crowning pieces of God's creation. And so he formed the man, and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And so a lot of times we picture, you know, God far away on his throne, reaching down and doing all these things. But as we see here, everything was made through Jesus. So imagine Jesus standing in the Garden of Eden before Adam existed. And he scoops down into the dirt, into the clay, and he forms the first man. And now he's just a lump of clay, formed out. And Jesus breathes into his nostrils. Now, you might say, was this some type of CPR? No. We know what Jesus said to breathe into him. You see in Genesis chapter 1. And God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl there, over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful, multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. So as God, the Father, was speaking these words, and they were coming through Jesus, Jesus speaking these words and breathing into man. And not only did he come alive, he became a living soul. You know, one of the Hebrew commentaries says he became a speaking spirit just like God. So now he's not just alive, but now he has a spirit. That's different for the rest of the creation. Other rest of the creation is alive but they don't, they're not spirit beings like God. And that came as Jesus breathed in to man. So imagine Jesus lifting that clay off the dirt, speaking these words into this lifeless clay being. And as he speaks, the breath of God goes into man, causes him to become a living soul, a speaking spirit, and Adam takes his first breath. Jesus right there, the future man, also called the second Adam, created the first Adam and breathed life into him. Remember this poem, the song is about the amazingness of who Jesus is. So let's go back to Colossians 1. We see him as creator. 
and all things were created by him and for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things. He is preexistent. So he wasn't created. He was always existent. In eternity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's no beginning point for them. It's eternity past and eternity future. So he says he is before all things. So he also has first status in front of everything. He has preeminence. And by him, all things consist. You know, as we already read in Hebrews 1.3, that he holds all things together by the word of his power. So what is this verse saying? Jesus sustains everything. Not only did he create everything, the world is still in existence because Jesus is holding it together. From the very smallest molecular scale to the greatest thing and largest thing you can imagine, Jesus is holding everything together. That's how amazing and wonderful he is. He is holding it all together. And he is the head of the body. So we see him as the creator of the universe, the creator of this planet, all the things he created in creation. But now, the second part of the poem is focusing on the new creation, the new creatures in Christ Jesus. He is the head of the body. When it says the head, he's in charge. He has the first rank. And, you know, the head of the body is what holds everything together. The chief, the leader of the new creation. What is the new creation? The body, the church, the ecclesia. It says he, Jesus, is the beginning. Now, that's where when we think about beginning, we think, oh, he's the Alpha and Omega. And that's true, he is. The book of Revelation talks to us about that. But that word beginning here is not the Greek word alpha. It's actually the Greek word arche or arche, however you want to say it. What does it talk about? This word here means the beginning, the origin, the chief. It indicates rank and rule. This word for beginning indicates rank and rule. Once again, he's emphasizing the preeminence of Jesus. So who is the beginning? The firstborn. There's that title again, from the dead. So not only is he has firstborn status, he was also, as we saw before, born again from the dead, the first one born again. So he's the prototype of all those who come after him. But it also lets you know that he is the supreme of the resurrection age to come and all those who will be born again after him follow after him and he's the chief and the leader among all of them. He is the prototype of all the believers to be born again after him. Notice what it says next. That in all things. That word things is italicized, is added by the translator for hopefully help for the sake of clarity, which means you can take it all and read it. And so I like how it reads when you take out the word things as italicized. For he, notice what it says here, that in all he might have the preeminence. All. Whether it's things or not a thing, whatever you can name. He has preeminence. He has first place. He is above it all. He is first. He is amazing. He is wonderful. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. The whole fullness of the Godhead dwelling in Jesus, the image of the invisible God. He who walked the earth who gave his life for us. In him did all the fullness of God dwell. And as he walked the earth, 
although in him all the fullness of God dwelt, he laid aside the glory that belonged to him so that he could walk among us and live as a man anointed by God. Once again, we're talking about how amazing Jesus is and how pleased the Father is with the Son. We even saw, if we skip back to where we looked at last week, it's called the kingdom of his dear son or the son of his love or his beloved son. And so one of the things you see in this language is how much the father loves the son. And what's amazing as we've taught before in other series is that the father loves you as much as he loves Jesus. For it pleased the father that in him should all fullness dwell and having made peace. This word peace here is very interesting. Made peace here means to harmonize or to establish harmony. So as having made peace and establishing harmony and harmonizing through the blood of his cross, he poured out his blood on the cross by him or through him to reconcile, which means to bring back a former state of harmony. It means to bring back a former state of harmony. He has reconciled all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. He, through the blood of his cross, remember, he created all things. He holds all things together by the word of his power. And now, he entered into this process of redemption so he can bring all things that were lost back to himself. Ephesians talks about it in another language, and we'll look at that on another day. But he was harmonizing all things, bringing things together. How wonderful and amazing Jesus is. You know, as we close, I want to read it to you from the message version. I just like the poetic way they put this poem in Psalm by Paul. It says in the message version, we look at this son and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this son and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this very moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. Wow. Our Jesus is amazing. He's wonderful. You now, some of the old timers would say, he's a wonder, and he is. He is amazing. And you know, when you look at verse 15 to verse 20, you know, scholars and theologians would describe it as Christology or the study of Christ, the study of Jesus. And the thing is about our Christology, our study of Jesus, because we believe everything it says here 
it's a Christology worth singing. That's why it's put in poetry form. That's why it's put in song form. It is a song art. The amazingness of Jesus is worth singing about. You know, one of the commentaries I read, it says, you know, our Christology is worth singing. You know, to have a Christology you can't sing about, that's not worth anything. But this Christology is something we sing about and celebrate, celebrate and praise and honor and give glory because our Jesus is amazing. So that's what we're about to do. We're about to sing these verses and celebrating the amazingness of who our Jesus is. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether there be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness, fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven thanks for watching today we hope today's message was a blessing to you that it empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.